Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Praise the Lord. Isn't it wonderful to step in the house of the Lord and feel His presence? Undeserving, uh, unmerited, but what a privilege to feel the presence of the Lord today. So thankful to be here with you today. I'll ask you to go with me this morning to the book of Mark, chapter 5. I whispered in the pastor's ear just a few minutes ago, I sort of feel like Jacob. I have wrestled for the last 24 hours with this. It is my understanding that before a doctor can become a doctor, he must take a Hippocratic pledge or an oath to first do no harm. And that is my primary objective this morning is I don't want to do any harm, uh, but I do believe that I need to be obedient to the Lord and and speak. I've asked the Lord early this morning to, to what's in my heart, what he put in my mouth, and I need you to help me today. Many here will recognize this passage of scripture and the setting in which it takes place. Jesus is passing through the city on his way to the house of Jairus whose daughter is sick and indeed as we know has already died while he's making this journey uh, passes through the city following Jairus to this house we pick up on our reading here this morning in Mark 5 and 25 and a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment, for she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. Father, I love you. I'm so eternally grateful for the privilege to be here today. Thankful for the opportunity to gather together at an appointed time and appointed place and to worship you and to offer up praise and adoration. And I'm asking now as the word of the Lord goes forth, would you anoint us? Would you touch our hearts and our minds to receive what thus saith the Lord? Would you speak into our spirit, God? Would you stir us? Would you change us? And would you shake us, Lord? Thank you again, God, for the privilege to be in this house. And the whole house said amen. Before you're seated, turn to your neighbor and tell them how much you're enjoying this cool weather this morning.
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'll ask you to forgive my voice this morning and my sinuses. Me and Chava's been bailing hay and it's about got the best of us. And I know how irritating it can be sometimes to listen to a raspy voice, but if you'll bear with me. I want to speak to us and preach to us this morning from this title, Desperately Needing a Reason. Desperately Needing a Reason. A reason. It is a fact, and this is not a blanket indictment to anyone who may or may not be in church this morning, but I am convinced and I believe it to be true that the spirit of Laodicea is alive and it's well in our world, in our church, and in our generation today. The Laodicean simply said this, he said, I'm rich, I'm increased with goods, and I have need of nothing. And that goes against everything that Jesus taught and it certainly contradicts the Beatitudes when he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. And the difficulty that we face today or perhaps let me say it like this, the problem that you and I are up against and I realize as a general rule that there are exceptions to the rule and I'm sure that there are people this morning under the sound of my voice who are facing some things in your life or who may be in the middle of something right now and this will go against what I'm about to say so it is Again, not my intention to offend you if you find yourself in this category. But this morning I'm talking in terms of generalities relevant to this generation. And in a general sense, it does not really comprehend what want is. Our generation does not know what it is to want. We, we have everything we need. And I'm not, I'm, I'm speaking not just spiritually this morning, but this is true in the secular world. We are part of a generation and I'm speaking uh, generally to anyone, not to disregard our elders, but I'm being respectful to our elders, but if you're 55 or so or under, we are part of a generation who have known such incredible prosperity in our lives. You say this morning, well, Jerry, you didn't see my paycheck Friday, and you don't see the house that I live in, and you don't see the car that I drive, but if you compare your paycheck to most of the world's paycheck, if you compare your house to most of the world's house, if, if you compare your, what you drive to what the world drives, if you compare what you wear to what most of the world wears, if you compare what you eat to what most of the world eats, if you compare your lifestyle to what most of the world enjoys, then most of us here this morning are by definition rich in the world standards. I drive a 14-year-old truck. I used to think that you have to have a truck every two years, you know, drive a new truck, but I've learned to, to drive an old truck. And a couple of weeks ago, I was in one of our local establishments and a friend of mine, and he said this in a joking manner, and I took it in a joking manner. He says, man, when you gonna, when you going to get you a new truck? And I said, well, I'm going to... When, when the tires fall off of this one, I'll consider going to get another one. And he made a statement, and again, I took it in the spirit that he said it, and he says, you watermelon farmers have got to drive a new truck every year, man. It just don't look right, riding around in this old truck. And I left there, and I got to thinking in my mind, and because of the construction, I turned on to the old river road to come back to Hatch Bend, and I got to thinking of the stories that my grandfather would tell me about working all week and knocking off at three or four on Saturday and walking to town. 
And that's not been that long ago. And I said, our society has found themselves in a place where there was no vehicles. And now we find ourselves in a place where it really matters what you drive or don't drive. This generation, my generation, in a secular sense, has not really known what need and want is all about. This generation, my generation, in a spiritual sense, has not really known what need and want is all about. We are a generation that has been blessed by the, by the most incredible talent and ability imaginable, the most incredible music, the most incredible preaching and facilities than any other generation has ever known. You and I this morning are part of a church that is prosperous and educated and talented, but there is a tremendous danger because all of these attributes that we have and all of these tools that are at our disposal we, we have what it takes to get the job done. God forbid if the Spirit of the Lord didn't show up this morning when they struck the first key. I'm thankful that it's here. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place now. But if it wasn't, we have what it takes to have church. And sometimes if we're not careful, we rely on those tools rather than the God who blessed us with those tools and attributes. So the result is that you and I live in a uniquely dangerous hour. We live in an hour, unfortunately, and, and I, I'm not implying that that's the case here, but I am saying that we have, we must, ladies and gentlemen, guard against the spirit of Laodicea because in churches all across this country today, and I'm talking about apostolic churches, I'm not talking about any other doctrine, any other faith, I'm talking about one God apostolic churches this morning, all across this country will exchange intellect for inspiration. They'll exchange talent for anointing. And it happens in the pulpit and it happens in the music ministry. I don't think I'm that old, but I can remember that little block building over there where there'd be an upright piano. And if I remember right, Sister Newman, there'd be like a, y'all had a little decorative curtain on the back of it. And, and she would play the piano. And my grandmother and my Aunt Frances would play their guitars. And, and sometimes if it might be cold in the building, they might be a little out of tune. And, and, and perhaps they didn't play in but three keys back then. But the song was Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And there was anointing that flowed forth of that song. And don't get me wrong this morning. I'm thankful for this grand piano. And I'm thankful for the keyboard and the drums and everything and the praise team that we have that goes along with it. But still today, you and I must realize that the same song's gotta be sung. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me and we need that anointing that comes with it. And don't misunderstand me this morning. I, I'm thankful for everything that God gives us but there is a danger that we come to perform rather than to praise. A danger that we step into pulpits to manipulate rather than minister. The prosperity that we experience, and I'm not speaking about monetary things, I'm talking about our talent and our educational abilities. All these things that God gives us, these are benefits that we have received from being faithful, and we should be thankful for them. But this prosperity, if we're not careful, brings three primary problems to this generation. First, it brings us to a state, if we're not careful, that we can have disobedience without remorse. The fact of the matter is that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Godly sorrow works repentance and if the word of God cannot speak into our spirit and convict us of our error and cause us to realize a necessity for change, we're in trouble. Second thing it causes is transgression without guilt. This is a generation that perceives itself as good and in most regards 
We are, but we sometimes fail to understand that it's God's judgment. God's judgment works diametrically different than our judgment in this land. If I go to a, if I'm convicted of a crime or some injustice and I go to a courtroom, I am not set free until I can prove my innocence. But in God's courtroom, the courtroom of grace, I, I, I've got to be guilty in order to go free. I, I've, I've got to, I, I cannot, I cannot, only, he only works on those who have sinned. Grace only works on the guilty. For all that have sinned and come short of the glory of God and who allow the blood of Jesus to wash their way their sins. God can't save good people. He can only save sinners. And the third area that we sometimes run into a dilemma is because of our prosperity in the way in which men and women are judged. Even in the church, if we're not careful, we no longer judge by their character or integrity or honesty. But we'll find ourselves judging men by their achievement. And our primary focus is how much or how many. And we have to be careful because if not, that spirit will insert itself into the ministry. I say this respectfully, but Jesus had one of the most dynamic three and a half years of evangelical ministry on this earth that we have ever seen or read about. But in this world's standards, he was a failure. Because when it was said and done with, he didn't have tw- but 12 that stuck with him, and one of them was a devil. I, I-, I want to see our church grow. I want to see us abound and be blessed, but not at the sake of needing God and losing the need for God and not at the sake of losing the anointing of God. It goes against, goes against everything that Paul said. If we're not careful, we can adopt an attitude that I don't need a preacher. I can read the Bible for myself and I can get my own self to heaven. Paul says that it pleased God to choose the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And preaching in that verse is in the progressive tense of the word. It means that it pleases God that you and I hear preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching and more preaching. It's the word of God that is preached into my spirit that is able to help me to overcome sin and be an overcomer in my life. And it shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter to you and I who's preaching the word of God behind this desk as long as they anoint it. If I went out here this morning and got case and brought him up here to read from the word of God, if the anointing is on him, it shouldn't matter. We need to hear the preached word of God. This creates an arrogance about the word of God, this prosperity, and, and men become a law unto themselves. And You tell yourself, I know what's right from wrong, and I don't have to have anybody tell me what to do. It creates an arrogance about the house of God and the reverence of this holy place. If we're not careful, we can get into a place that when pastor comes along beside us or steps in the pulpit to, to, to teach us something or to warn us of something, rather than repent, we resent. This atmosphere in which we are living in this uniquely dangerous period of time Paul talked about, there's something powerfully good to be said in regarding a need or a reason for an appetite or a hunger for the things of God. In our text this morning, we read where this woman, Jesus, is passing by. And I, I don't know how she knew that he was coming to town. I don't know if a friend told her or if she heard the commotion and perhaps got out of her bed. But I, I do know that the Word of God says that for 12 years she had grown progressively worse. And, and she was now at the point of death and there was no place to go. There was no hope. 
but somehow the word came to her that Jesus was coming to town. This woman pushes her way through the crowd and out of the crowd she reaches and she touches the hem of the garment and she's made whole. And the question resides in my mind as I was studying this last night, was it because she was good that she was made whole? I don't know. Was she worthy? The Bible doesn't speak of her worth or merit. The Bible doesn't reveal these things about her, but what it does tell us is that she sensed her need for God. And that reason alone drove her. That reason is what guided her into the presence. That reason caused her to touch him in a way that got his attention. Her reason for touching him was met. I don't know how many in that crowd that day could have had critical needs. I don't know how many of them had things in their life that day that needed attention, but what I do know is out of all that crowd, there was one person whose need was met, whose reason for trying to get to him was addressed. Was it because that was the only need there? I, I don't think so. But sometimes I think we get this idea that we can skip through life and and God knows our needs and he'll, he'll meet us at our needs. And can I tell you this morning that God does not need us at our point of need. God doesn't come to us just because we need something. God meets us at our point of desire and until your reason presses you into the hunger and craving after God, he can't work in your life. If God met everyone at the point of their need, then everyone would be saved because everyone needs to be saved. If God met everyone at the point of their need, there would be no hunger because everyone needs to be fed. If God met everyone at the point of their need, all would be well because everyone needs to be healed. God doesn't meet us at the point of our need. He meets us at the point of our desire. And the fact of the matter is that this lady in this whole crowd was fortunate enough to realize that she was dying and there was only one hope. And it was her reason for that one and only hope that pressed her. This is a generation that in many regards, my generation, in our own thinking, sometimes we think we don't need God. We don't sense our need for God. This generation has talent, education, and money. And we're growing in numbers, but, but again, I'll be repetitive here, but Matthew 5 and 6 says, Blessed are those which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. The word hunger there comes from the Greek word meaning crave. He's saying that the people that are going to be blessed in this last hour, in these last days, will be people that crave God, people that can't get enough of God, always want to be in his presence, always want to be around him. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you what the number one problem is with my generation is we've been able to experience Pentecost way too easy. We got a great church. We got a spiritual church. Great pastor, great first lady, talent, a facility, everything we need to be a successful church. But what I fear and what we have to guard against is it's here whenever we need it. You can pick and choose when you want to come to church because it don't matter because the Spirit's going to move here. You don't feel like getting up on Sunday mornings? That's all right. Come Wednesday. We'll have, we'll have some good church Wednesday. You don't want to come Wednesday, just show up on Sunday. We'll have some good church on Sunday. We got Sunday school and youth groups. We got in reach. We got outreach. We got something for the elders, something for the middle aged, something for the young. Everything we need to have church is right here at our fingertips. It comes to us 
Very easy. Many of us have had to pay a small price to become apostolic. If we're not careful, we'll see all these things and the great attributes of of the church and we fail to step back sometimes and ask ourselves the question, what did all of this cost? Well, I'll tell you what it cost in 1940 when a man and his family come. There was no fancy building. There was no fancy instruments. But they had church outside and then they would move to the the living room of Sister Dorothy Land and the man of God and the saints of God fasted and prayed their God guts out so that we could feel that spirit that we felt this morning when that first tune went up. There was a price that was paid to get to where we are today. That's what Jesus meant when he spoke of in Luke 13 and 24. He said, strive to enter the straight gate. The word strive translated means to agonize. What he's saying is he wants us to know that at some point when we make it to heaven, there's going to be a price to pay. At some point, we're going to have to realize there's some, there's some agony that's going to take place on this journey. And don't misunderstand me. You can't buy your way into heaven. You can't behave your way in heaven. Uh, you, you can't wear the right thing or the wrong thing and get into heaven. You can't go to the right place or the wrong place and get into heaven. The only way we're going to make heaven is by the grace of God and by obeying this Acts 2.38 message. Grace is unmerited. You, you, you cannot earn it, but it's not unconditional. This generation secularly and spiritually, we've become intolerant of anything unpleasant or confining. Gets too hot, we want to cut up the air. Gets too cold, we want to turn down the heat. Don't want to deal with any adversity. We're a generation that wants it easy, we want it our way, and we want it now. And we will not put up with anything that is unpleasant. And if we don't stay on guard, that spirit is trying to insert itself into the church. If we don't stand guard, we're going to find ourselves in a place where we can't be preached to. Our pastor will come along beside us to correct us or or try to put us back where we need to be, see an error in our ways, and we go, who does he think he is? I don't think I'm over the line this morning. I'm telling you that spirit is knocking on the door, and we got to guard against it and keep it out. Doesn't seem to matter to this generation that hell is enlarging herself. We want it easy and fast in our way. The psalmist said they are enclosed in their own fat. With their mouth they speak proudly. The word proud there means haughty. They justify themselves. And we, if we're not careful, we find ourselves trying to explain away sin in our life. There is no substitute for an altar of repentance. You try as you may, you can't explain away sin in their life. There is no substitutes but the altar before the Lord. That's the reason it pleases God to choose preaching. Because the word of the Lord says every way of a man is right in his own eyes. And I submit to you this morning, and I, I, I don't mean to be harsh, but if you and I have sat under anointed preaching for the past three months and we haven't felt conviction in our heart, if we hadn't felt like there was some place in our life that we needed to change the course, if we hadn't been stirred or if we hadn't been moved, let me tell you, we in big trouble because we ain't that good. We need the preached word of God in our life. Zechariah Zechariah said in 4 and 10, for who has despised the day of the small things? 
the word translated small in, here in Hebrew has relatively nothing to do with size whatsoever. It speaks of adversity and difficulty. He could say something like this, despise not the day of adversity. Despise not the road or the path of difficulty. Sometimes adversity is good for us. There can be an advantage to adversity because adversity can give us a reason to realize that I need God. There are times that we need the Lord. Sometimes it's necessary to realize that I I don't have all the answers. I don't have the talent. I don't have the ability. I don't have what it takes to do this. And God, I need you to come along and put your arm around me and pick me up and pour your grace and your mercy into my life and help me. I need a reason to need him. Job said in 5 and 17, Behold, happy is the man who God correcteth. Therefore, despise not the chastening of the Almighty. Word correct there means to challenge. We go through some challenging situations and sometimes we better stop and thank God for what we're going through. Sometimes we go through some of those pressing situations and he's doing that because one day we're going to come to a test. We're going to face some things and we're going to find out if our, te- if our faith is unproven. And even then, we better be careful and not confuse accomplishment of the work of God. But in the midst of it all, don't, 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 don't think just because you're getting things done for God, everything's okay. It don't matter if I wake up every morning and raise the dead. If my relationship ain't right, well, God, it's all for nothing. It's all for nothing. Psalms 66 and 10 says, For thou, O God, has proved us, thou hast tried us, as silver is tried. Pastor, I'm not implying that this time is near. I'm merely using this as an example. But there's going to come a day when you're going to have to pass the torch. And what my fear is for my generation and the one behind me, If we don't stand guard against this spirit, when it comes time for you to pass the torch, it'll be passed off to a generation whose faith is unproven. They haven't faced difficulty and adversity. They don't know what it's like to to deal deal with problems. And it's true. It's true that God is love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, but it's also true, Malachi 3 and 3, and he shall sit as a refiner and purifier. If you and I are going to be silver and gold at the end, we've got to go through some fire. We're going to have to go through some adversity, and we're going to have to go through some testing. Hebrews 12 and 6, he said, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Unique word loveth there. The word that's translated love in that verse of scripture is actually Greek for kiss. Paul is saying it like this. He who the Lord kisses, he chastens. A kiss reflects more than just a simple relationship or just a a passing affection, but there is a special relationship involved with a kiss. I kiss my mother on the cheek. I kiss my grandmother on the cheek, but... But I don't kiss anybody like I kiss this woman. We have a special relationship. And God is telling us, he's chastening us because he loves us. And he's kissing us. I'd say to you this morning, 
that if God has quit correcting you, if you feel no conviction, if you feel no, no, no realization to change things in your life when the preach word of God goes forth, my God in heaven, you better run to an altar and beg a God of mercy without him correcting us. Without him correcting us, we are in trouble. Paul is saying if you want to be kissed by the Lord, he only kisses those who he loves and who are willing to be challenged and who are willing to go through the fire. Whether you see the reason today or not, he does. God does because he said Satan has come against us with a great wrath. You see, Satan is passionate about your walk with God. Satan is passionate about this service today. Satan is passionate about what goes on in this church. And God is saying, we gotta be passionate about our walk with God. You gotta be more passionate about this service. That's why it's so important to get here to this house and to lift up the Lord. And we gotta be passionate about what we're doing for God. And if we're not careful, we'll be just like the generation in Judges chapter two and 10. He said, there arose a generation after them who knew not the Lord nor the works. They never experienced the wonders and the works of God. They, they had never experienced the deliverance from the wilderness. They, they never had a reason to need God because they didn't have to. They went into cities that they didn't build. They harvested from vineyards that they didn't plant. They lived in houses that they didn't build. They never needed God and a result of that is Judges 2 and 17 says, and they would not hearken unto their judges. That could be read this morning like this. And they would not hearken unto their pastors. But went a-whoring after other gods. If you're familiar with the book of Judges, you know the result at the end. They said they did what was right. The last chapter, last verse, they did what which was right in their own eyes. May I submit to you today that there are two statements, two statements that never should be in the same sentence together. And that is the Bible says, and I think. We can think what we want until the Bible speaks against it. And then we've lost At that point, we've lost our thinking ability. Well, well, I think, I had a gentleman a couple of weeks ago at the conclusion of a service. He come to me and he said, Jerry, I don't think that you have to be baptized to be saved. And I respectfully said to him, I said, it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. If you believe the word of God and you take it for what it says, he said, except a man be born of water and of spirit. So that excludes my thinking. There comes a commandment. There comes some obedience. It doesn't matter what I think. He said, present yourselves. I don't think all that's necessary, Jerry, the holiness. He said, present yourselves a living sacrifice. It don't matter what I think. He's told me to be holy and to be righteous. The Israelites, the, the, the second and third generation that come out of the wilderness, the wilderness was not part of their experience. Manna, manna was not part of their experience. They didn't know what it was like to have to depend on God to feed them every day. Warfare was not part of their experience. 
Please do not be offended by this next statement, but I am begging. I am begging my elders. Sister Osborne, Brother Davis, Brother Rayleigh, don't let my generation get by so easy. Pull us aside from time to time and speak into my life and tell me how tough it used to be. Remind me the cost of this. If you see error in my ways, you tell me. If you find me missing church, the next time you see me, you take me by the arm and tell me, boy, you better get in church. Please, elders, don't, don't let us get by so easy. John said in 15 and 2, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth. Jesus said the only way you can bear fruit is if you purge it. You've got to be clipped and trimmed. My philosophy around my house is if you'll cut it way back, you won't have to worry about it for a while. <laughs> my wife has come out to our bushes and it'd just be a stalk sticking up. But it always comes back bigger and bushier than ever. My grandfather used to say, you can't kill anything that's no good. <laughs> and if you can't eat it, it ain't no good. But God's saying we got to be clipped. Don't despise adversity. Don't despise being purged and being clipped. So we got to have a reason. If we're not careful, our thinking will become adulterated by the values of the world. Pastor has been, I say this respectfully, has been hammering for the last year I know of. Don't be conformed to the world. We got to come out. The writer said, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. He said, be not conformed. The conformity here has nothing to do with outward appearance. It speaks of a regiment talk. It's talking about a value system. It's saying you have to guard your mind or the value system of the world will take over you. And if you don't believe that can happen, if you don't believe that the value system of the world can take over us, listen to how we testify. We talk about the blessings of God and we talk about how he's blessed us with a home and and cars and, and money and boats and, and, and things of this world. Can I tell you that the blessings of God cannot rust? The blessings of God cannot wear out. The blessings of God cannot be burned up. What we call blessings, God's gonna burn them all up one day because they're not blessings. The blessings of God are joy, peace, righteousness in this Holy Ghost that's in me. David said he daily loads me with benefits. I thank God for a home and a house and I thank God for a truck and I thank God that he's, that he's give us those benefits but at the end of the day, none of that's gonna matter. All that we can take to the grave, the only thing that I can take to that grave with me is the blessings of God and that's joy, peace, righteousness and the Holy Ghost.
2 Corinthians 13 and 5 said, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Paul said we got to examine ourselves that we be in the faith, not whether or not we know the faith. You got to be in it. Not just a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. Brother Riley, you said something a while back that has stuck with me. You talked about head knowledge. But you said we got to have a heart knowledge. This has got to get in our heart. We got to have this. You know the reason preaching saves? It can only save us if we don't know we're lost. That, that's why preaching saves. I, I, I think you spoke of this recently, but you talked about the mysteries. Paul said we speak in, in mysteries. Um, in, in my short ministry, I, I, I've preached some sermons and, and men would come up to me at the conclusion there at the prison and say, man, I really appreciate what you said. It, it, it really done something for me. And I said, well, I, I didn't say that. Oh, yes, you did. You said it. And I go back and look at my notes and I, I don't see it in my notes. I, I didn't say that. But that's what Paul said when you're in the spirit preaching. You speak ministries because the spirit knows what's going on. There has been times that I wanted to preach David and Goliath. I wanted to preach about dry bones raising up. But God said, no, you're going to preach this. And I said, well, God, people don't want to hear this. But the Holy Ghost knows that when you get behind the desk and you're starting to see expressions of faces and you see tears rolling down eyes, you say, my God, he knows all. That's why it pleased God to choose the foolishness of preaching. If our musicians would come, I'm trying to close. The book of Revelations, we know in chapter three, he said, I, I know thy works. Thou art neither cold nor hot. He said, I, I would rather you be cold or hot. I've heard this preached in the context on more than one occasion, this particular verse of get in or get out. But with all respect, I don't believe that that's what the writer is implicating here. He's saying, I wish you were hot or cold because people who are hot have a need they have a reason they want to cool off people that are cold have a reason to warm up but when you're lukewarm you're comfortable and you have no need of nothing and God says I can save hot people and I can save cold people but it's going to be a real struggle for me to save lukewarm people we have to understand how much we need God. And until we do, he cannot do anything for us. And the result of being lukewarm is found in verse 17. And I quoted this at the beginning of my message. He said, I'm rich. I'm increased. I don't need nothing. Got everything I need. And look what he says. But you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. The spiritual sensitivity is all messed up there. And the result of that relationship with God gets all messed up. They had no reason to need the Lord. And when you have no reason, you have no desire. And if you have no desire, you cannot be blessed. We've got to stay hungry. We've got to stay craving. Hebrews 12 and 11. Now, 
no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but it's grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, please don't leave here today and say that Jerry preached that we need to look forward to trials and tests because that's not what I'm saying. That's never joyous. But look what the word of God says. It says it's afterward. That he, after that trial, after that testing, sometimes we have to be forced into some experiences. Sometimes we have to have God make us do something. You know, sometimes I see scriptures that are somewhat perplexing to me and uh, not that I'm questioning the word of God, but I, I, I just, why, why did you do it that way, God? Why? You know, when he healed the blind man, he's God. He could have spoke the word. He could have laid hands on him and he could have made him to see. But we know the story where he took some spit in the ground and took some mud and smeared it in the man's eyes. And I'm just being real here this morning. When you think of that, that's sort of disgusting. And it's gross. And I said, Well, God, why why did you why would you do it that way? Why couldn't you just heal the man? But God so desperately wanted to heal that man that day that he knew that the healing would be contingent upon the obeying of the word. And he wanted to heal him so badly. He said, I'm afraid if I just tell you to go wash, you won't do it. You've got to have a reason You've got to have a reason to obey my word. Can I tell you this morning, respectfully I say that I feel like sometimes Jesus has spit in my face. I don't understand why he has to do it this way sometimes. I'm just being transparent. I find myself questioning but then I have to remind myself that he knows every head, every hair on my head. I have to remind myself that he knew me before I was formed. And he knows my stubbornness and my hard-headedness and he knows that he's got to give Jerry a reason. He's got to give me a reason to know that I need God unconditionally. Sometimes we shortchange ourselves. Let me say it like this. Sometimes I shortchange myself. I won't cast you into this same pond with me. If you want to climb in the boat and row, come on. But I shortchange myself sometimes because this life that we lead, mine's no different than yours. We're all living in a fast-paced world. And we come in here and we feel the presence of God and it moves and it stirs and we get the warm fuzzies and the 
hair stands up on the back of our neck and we really feel good about ourselves and how the service went. But there's many times that I have walked out of here when God was saying, come on, there's some more. There's some more. There's some more. But I've sold myself short. And I come to service and experience a shallow experience. And, and by lunch, maybe some of you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you don't, but by lunch, the warm fuzzies are gone. We can't sell ourselves short. As you stand across this house, Amos 8 and 11 says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine into the land. Not a famine of bread, not a thirst for water, but of hearing. Everybody say hearing. Hearing the words of the Lord. We've got to hear the word of the Lord. Once the Bible declares it, as I said earlier, that settles it. It's over. We've got to hear what God is saying. Can I tell you today, if you're in this house and you're a sinner, there's a remedy in this book for you. Can I tell you today if you're in this house and you have found yourself hooked on drugs or alcohol, there's a, there's a remedy in this old book for you. Can I tell you today if you've been living for the Lord a long time and you have found yourself at a place where you're on the edge of that lukewarmness, can I tell you today that there's a remedy in this old black book for you? I know what I'm talking about today because I'm speaking from experience. I'm talking about a God that can reach down to the bottom of the pit. David said he set my feet upon a rock. As we lift our hands across this house today, They're coming to lead us in praise and worship. And I would be remiss this morning if I didn't make these altars available to you, to us. God is reaching. God is calling. He's saying, will you hear what I'm saying? Are you just going to listen to what the Word of God says and turn around and walk out the same way you come in? Or will you be a doer of my Word? Will you be obedient to the commands that I've given you in my Word? Can we lift our hands across this house and either come to the altar or make an altar where you stand? Father, we love you. Father, we love you. Thank you, Jesus. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. 
We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.